Hello, and welcome back to Ethereum Audible, the best in Web3. That's what we do here on this podcast. I read all kinds of different articles, blogs, takes from the Ethereum ecosystem, Web3, crypto, Bitcoin, anything that I think is worthwhile for you to listen to and will save you time in an audio format. And this is the first podcast after the successful Ethereum merge that happened last week. So a huge congratulations to the entire ecosystem, all the core devs, all the different client teams for making it happen. It's very exciting to see this take place. It's a it's a huge experiment in blockchains and consensus systems. And now we've got the big experiment with Bitcoin on proof of work and the big experiment in proof of stake. And naturally, this has caused a lot of contention in crypto Twitter and crypto sphere in general, with a lot of dunking on proof of stake in general. Luckily, you've been supplied with all of the information and all of the read-throughs to make up your own mind about the positives and negatives of proof of stake, because unlike what crypto Twitter would have us believe, it is not black and white. There are shades of gray. Every argument has a counter-argument, and naturally, there is no best system. Both of them have drawbacks and advantages. Today, I wanted to go a little bit off the beaten track of articles and blogs and actually read some of the Twitter threads that I've seen pop up uh, around the risks to proof of stake. And I'm going to be tackling one that just popped up out of nowhere, which is proof of stake is going to be considered a, a security, unlike proof of work. Initially, that sounded pretty crazy to me. What does the consensus mechanism have anything to do with what the token is, whether it's a commodity or a security, there's the Howey test for that. And if you don't remember what the Howey test is, there is a blockchain bite about that in this same feed. But there was a, there are a lot of different threads that popped up about this right after the merge. It's like people were just waiting to hit that tweet button. And there was a 43 uh, tweet thread, Twitter thread that I want to get into. And it's pushing back against this thesis. So that's what we're going to be reading today. As always, this episode of Ethereum Audible is from brought to you by Alp Audio, A-L-P-E Audio, which is a an audio platform for on-the-go learning. If you like to learn on the go, if you like to learn in depth on the go and you want to master topics like product management or mindfulness, creative thinking, principles of finance, well, there is a course for that in Alp audio.com. So if you just go over to the website or you can download it on any app store and that would be much appreciated because that's the best way to support the show. And with that, actually one more thing there, if you're interested in tokenomics, token design, token economics, um, I just launched a new website called designingtokenomics.com and that's where I post all kinds of writings and blogs that I'm analysis breakdowns, things like that, that I'm doing of the tokenomics ecosystem. It's all free. There's a free email course you can sign up for. And the goal for this website is to educate the ecosystem as much as I can on when it makes sense to use a token, when it doesn't make sense to use a token, and when you are using a token, what you can learn to do better so that less tokens completely flop less projects completely flop because their tokens completely flop. So that's designingtokenomics.com. And with that, I want to get into this week's read, which is 
a breakdown of Adam Cochran's thread on Twitter. You can follow him at Adams Cochran. That's A-D-A-M-S-C-O-C-H-R-A-N. He is responding to a Twitter thread by Adam Levitin, and that's who I'm going to start with. It goes like this. Something that no one is talking about. After the merge, there will be a strong case that either will be a security. The token in any proof-of-stake system is likely to be a security. Now, I've gotten some pushback here, so let me elaborate. Security includes an investment contract. An investment contract is defined by the Supreme Court of the United States in Howey as a K-4 investment in a common enterprise where profits are expected, quote, solely from the efforts, end quote, of a third party. Howey speaks of an investment of money, but that has always been interpreted just to mean an investment of value. Putting up a stake readily satisfies this element. The common enterprise element is also readily met with staking. The whole validation system requires multiple parties. That's the pooling, i.e. the more demanding interpretation of common enterprise, which is horizontal commonality. The expectation of profit is clear enough too. Stakers get rewards. So that brings us to the last element. The profits are expected to be derived solely from the efforts of others. In Howey, the Supreme Court said solely a couple of times. And if that's the measure of things, then staking will not meet the test because the staker is also a participant. But lower courts have basically read solely out of Howey, at least for things like multi-level distribution pyramids, where participants do have to try to recruit more marks. Basically, courts of appeals, the second and the ninth among others, have read solely as being more likely primarily or significantly, and the Supreme Court hasn't disagreed. It discussed the issue in a 1975 opinion without taking a position. Given that what any individual staker contributes relative to the total sum of the efforts in the enterprise is probably quite limited, I suspect the solely part of the Howey tests of the other elements to be met. Now, none of this answers the trickier question, in my humble opinion, of who the issuer is when you're dealing with a decentralized system. That's part of the broader problem of how to fit decentralized systems into a person-based legal system. So that's the 10 uh, tweet thread by Adam Levitin that this other Adam, Adam Cochran, is answering. And I'll link both of them in the podcast notes. just want to summarize that so you have it clear in your mind. The Howey test states that something is labeled a security, and this is by the Supreme Court of the United States, is that if it is a an common enterprise where someone is giving money in an expect an expectation of profits derived from other people's work. And so here, if you're proof of stake, it's that I'm staking, which is the exchange of money. I'm going to derive a profit from staking from other people's work. While I am staking my own money, the truth is, you know, I'm only a small, small part of this large validator system. So the argument is that I am deriving money from other people's work. That's what Adam is saying. Now over to the other tweet thread. Quote, I'll take the opposed, and that I think there is decent precedent to find ETH to not be a security in a post-merge environment. Let's break down some specifics. First, the Howey test prongs we all know. One, an investment of money. Two, in a common enterprise. Three, an expectation of profit to be derived from the efforts of others. 
It's important to note that Howie is a three-pronged test, but often misquoted as four prongs. Prong one is pretty clear. You must buy ETH to stake ETH, and even if we argue that it is putting ETH up as collateral rather than a purchase, there isn't a sound argument. In the state versus Gopher Tire and Rubber Co., the court suggested that any risk capital that was the laying out of capital in a way intended to secure income or employment would fulfill this. And in Usulton versus Com Lovelace Freight Incorporated, the courts found that the investment of money can take the forms of quote goods or services, end quote, or other exchanges of value. And the SEC versus Shavers that was expressly extended to Bitcoin and other currencies, where this all comes into question is in subcomponents of the second and third prongs of the Howey test, which are heavily debated parts of the law with a number of differing tests in different courts, many of which have not ever been taken up by the Supreme Court. But let's first discuss the common enterprise. The term common enterprise is probably where the bulk of the litigation has taken place and where there are multiple schools of thought. Overall, there are tests of horizontal commonality, broad vertical commonality, and strict vertical commonality. We'll consider each of them in the framing of staking. In horizontal commonality, the courts look for elements of pro rata distribution of profits, or the tying together of investor assets via the pooling of funds, for example in Revac versus the SEC Realty Corp. In cases like Hart versus Pulte Homes of Michigan Corp. and Salser versus Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner, and Smith Incorporated, the courts go as far to say the investment must be part of a pooled group of funds. In Milnarnik versus MS Commodities, it's noted that, quote, the success or failure of other contracts must have a direct impact on the profitability of plaintiff's contracts, end quote. When you run a validator node on Ethereum's proof-of-stake, your 32 ETH is distinct and bound to your node. Your funds are not pooled. You receive rewards when the node you maintain performs its job, and you are slashed when it fails. Your node succeeding or failing does not impact the interests of others, and so you'd be hard-pressed to argue that this measure of commonality is relevant. Now, in vertical commonality, the argument being made is that the relationship between the investors and the issuers of or the promoter. In this case, the argument is that you don't need to have earnings rise and fall together. Instead, your profits are, quote, tied inextricably to the efficacy of the promoter, end quote. That's from SEC versus Glenn W. Turner Enters Incorporated. For example, in the Glenn Turner case, the company was paying participants to bring people to seminars in which Glenn Turner employees were closing the sale because the earnings of these participants were based on the efforts of the promoter and not on their own efforts, it was found to be a security. This was further refined in Villeneuve versus Advanced Bus Concepts Corporate, noting that, quote, the fortunes of the investors need to be linked only to the efforts of the promoter, and Long versus Schultz Cattle Corporation requiring that, quote, fortunes of investors be tied to fortunes of the promoter. The first challenge here would be establishing in any way that there is some greater promoter or issuer for Ethereum. Now, Ethereum is a decentralized and open source project with thousands of developers worldwide. More importantly, those building and issuing the code for Ethereum, which notably is protected under free speech, are not actually those running the network. 
the issuance of the code is separate and distinct from its implementation. They also do not expressly, through their involvement in its creation, own part of the network in a manner in which their fortunes are inextricably tied to that of others. There is an argument to be had that there is a common enterprise among the validators running the network, and a cooperative mechanic between validators validating a transaction, but those are distinct and post facto to the development of the network's code. The next question becomes the expectation of the profit from the efforts of others. In United Housing Foundation versus Foreman, it's noted that the core of this is on a reasonable expectation of profits to be derived from the entrepreneurial or managerial efforts of others. In SEC versus Rubera and SEC versus R.G. Reynolds Enterprises, both in the Ninth Circuit, the decisions note that Howey is a three-pronged test. This means not only must we expect profit, but the profit we expect must be from the efforts of others and not our own efforts or goods. This is nuanced and important distinction for the argument of staking, and it relies heavily once again on the proving of the common enterprise. For example, in U.S. versus Holtzclaw, a case in which a multi-level marketing program called Sell America sold gold coin certificates, the court decided they could not find the program to be a common enterprise, because the material effort required was on that of the seller. Because the participant was earning from their own efforts, and not the efforts of other investors or of the promoter, the court could not determine this to be a security. This part of the Howey test raises the fundamental question of what are you being rewarded for? When a user stakes Ethereum to run a node, why do they get rewarded? They are not rewarded because Ethereum developers continue to develop, because the network could stop development entirely today and it would continue to be used and nodes would continue to profit. The ultimate arguments are twofold. One, you are being rewarded for selling block space to a user. This argument could be more construed as a common enterprise, although once again, not from a promoter or issuer, as it's in the partnership with validators that Blockspace is formed. But that's not what validators are fundamentally doing. Instead, they are selling validation, a reliable amount of distributed server capacity that is online often enough that can attest to the fact that a transaction took place. Each validator is selling their uptime. And we know this because a validator is slashed when its uptime or trust becomes deficient and it is slashed on an individual level. If we are rewarded for its participation and slashed for its downtime, only on reliability and uptime, so this must be what is for sale. So the question becomes, then is the managerial effort of maintaining a server sufficient effort that we are being rewarded for our actions and not the actions of others? The SEC has indirectly already answered that for us. In SEC versus Homero Joshua Garza, the SEC charged Garza over his cloud mining companies where he sold hash share contracts. While there was a fraud component to this case, he was also charged with violating Section 5A of the Securities Law Act of 1933. In this case, the SEC viewed that owning and managing the Bitcoin mining rigs and servers was the managerial effort, and that selling access to their future earnings was therefore a matter of selling securities. In that regard, there is a strong argument to be made that the entrepreneurial and managerial efforts, as well as the expertise to maintain reliable uptime on an Ethereum validator, constitutes a material effort, and is what is being rewarded in the network. To recap, 
it's extremely hard to suggest there is an issuer or promoter. Staking does not have horizontal commonality in relation to profits. Staking does have some horizontal commonality in relation to other validators, but they are not an issuer or promoter. The horizontal commonality in efforts is negated by the fact that your rewards and losses are solely based on your own validator's performance and actions and can be taken to other validators' networks. You are selling uptime and validation and not block space as your validator could connect to another proof of stake network or fork with other validators and do the same action. Staking does not have strong vertical commonality with the issuer. There's only broad vertical commonality. If you believe what is being sold is block space and that the block space is owned by developers who publish code, but do not run the fork, the network. There is an expectation of profits, and those profits are only derived from your own ability to maintain a reliable validator. The maintenance of a machine performing network validation has been shown to be a key managerial effort in the past. Now, at first brush, the idea of buy token, stake token, earn token can look like a security, I get that. But with a nuanced understanding of the operation of a proof of stake chain, I think it fails to be a security, even in a generous reading of the Howey test. If the SEC were to argue that that Ethereum is a security, I personally don't see that view being made more likely by the switch to proof of stake, and I certainly don't think anyone has grounds to state it as such definitively. Anyway, I'm not a lawyer, this is not legal advice, this is my own opinion on why I think a claim that proof-of-stake Ethereum is a security just doesn't stand up. So that's the long thread. It's 43 tweets, it's quite a while, that's why I wanted to read it for you. I have two main takeaways. One, there's a lot of FUD out there on crypto Twitter at the moment about the merge and shifting to proof-of-stake. Two, and this connects to one, is that this is very surprising because proof of stake has been around in the crypto ecosystem for years. We read the Tendermint white paper a few weeks ago. That was published in 2014. Cosmos has been around since 2015 or 2016. Like Proof of stake is not new. And the there are many well-known chains out there today, like Solana and Avalanche, that are proof of stake. So beyond the pure arguments side, there's also just precedent and why the SEC hasn't brought a case against this kind of security. Now, I'm not a lawyer either, and this is not financial or legal advice, but it seems to me that there are easier cases to win than a proof of stake claim against Ethereum. Now, naturally, It's tough to defend a distributed decentralized protocol like Ethereum, but a case like this against Solana or a more centralized proof of stake system would have an easier chance of sticking and setting a strong legal precedent because those chains are still in development. Solana has stated that they're still in beta mode. Uh, And so in that case, you have more of a common enterprise and a reasonable expectation of profit derived from the efforts of others. That's less the case in Ethereum. But this is just an example of how much black and white nonsense is out there on social media. And the reason, like the the need to dive deeper and kind of understand the nuances and curate your feed to get a better intake of knowledge. 
the knowledge you consume, that's your diet. It's like in food, the same is with the info you take in on social media. So it really matters who you follow, how you read it. Uh, and that's why I wanted to read this one because honestly, 43 tweets in a thread is a bit long to read while you're doom scrolling. But I thought that this analysis was really, real, really well put together with a lot of references to actual case law and precedents. So that was the proof of stake debate happening on Twitter this week after the merge. Over the coming few weeks, I'm going to be going back through the core Ethereum thesis of why layer twos, why that's going to scale, um, a little bit about the Ethereum roadmap going forward. There, After the merge, there's the splurge, the verge, the dirge, the gurge, all kinds of urge words, uh, because the merge is only one part of the future Ethereum roadmap in going from a general purpose blockchain to a modular blockchain that scales and really kind of fulfills the vision of being the digital settlement transactional layer for the internet. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on reading through over the next few weeks. And also, as always, if there are things that you want me to read through, just uh, give me a ping either on Twitter at ethereumaudible.com at yahoshzl, that's my personal Twitter handle, uh, or you can always send a boost or send a message if you're listening in the Fountain app via Lightning. Thanks for listening, and we will talk next week. Thank you.